is your boy Jay Branch, or your they, them, or your he, she, whichever you want me to be. I'm just having a good day. So it's a really good day. So whoever you want me to be today, they will be it. Um, I see my panelists all here. I was just talking to them. I got my panelists going on. I see you, Jay Hall. I see you, Sherlyn. We got Cosby on here. We bringing the same people back that um, we had last week. So we got... Um, we got Bryce Williams back. We got that lady Z, Miss Zora back. Jay Hall's back with us. Tony's back with us. Sherlyn's back with us. They all smiling when I say their names. They can really see me and hear me. It's so cool. Cosby didn't win Ghost. Um, Cosby's now playing Ghost in Power right now. Oh, he's back. He's back. He's back to being Cosby. Um, I'm really, 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 really excited. Um, today is part two um, of our conversation with um, starting with today. If you haven't um, seen last week's, last week's is pinned to the top of our Facebook page. So if you are using the Glow Facebook page, um, or if you're following me on my page, or you are following, I'm um, starting with today on their YouTube. We're streaming live everywhere, honey. Um, everywhere, honey. You'll get alive. You'll get alive. Everybody gets alive. Um, but I'm really excited. I'm about to start passing the mic. Jay Hall is cracking up. Um, I'm about to bring him on. Jay Hall is going to um, bring on uh, Sherlyn and Cosby, and then we'll jump back into our panelists and give everyone an update. Um, for everyone that is watching, if you're watching on our Glow page, this is live. Um, if you are watching again um, and you want to leave a comment, you have questions, concerns, leave it in the comment box. We got people watching. We got people watching and they're going to answer and the things is going to pop up. We're just so excited and we're bringing it to Jay Hall. What's up, Jay Hall? No, we're going to switch it out. Boom. What's <laughs> good, Jay? How's your week going? It's yep. only it's yeah, it's going. My my week is going pretty pretty cool. I'm glad that the rain is hopefully the rain is done done. It, uh, it wasn't raining here. It's just real cold. Um, summer left and didn't tell nobody. You yeah. know, she already let COVID through, and now she just left. It's just a lot. Um, let's check on with Sherlyn. Sherlyn. Hey. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I am. Um in Dallas visiting my family, so I am recouping and regrouping. Dallas. How's the feeling in Dallas right now? It's warm. You see my um my son dress that I have oh, had Yeah. Cause is is COVID down there trying to play too? It is. That's why I'm in the house. Okay. Well you just stand in the window with your sundress. Is what you're <laughs> okay. I just do I I would do the same thing. You see me, I'm just not coming out. Let's go ahead and check on the Cosby. Cosby, how you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. You know, I'm still here, still stern, still standing, still strong. You know? What's one thing positive you got for us today? Um Shout out to Gladys Knight and Patty LaBelle, man. Okay. You know, I on that, but we're not gonna go there. All right, so we're gonna swing it past. Tony, how you feeling today? I'm feeling good. I'm excited. <laughs> one thing positive you got for us today? Um, one positive thing. Um, you're all beautiful people, and everybody watching it is beautiful too. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you got her, him, they, she, 
you got Bryce Williams in the building. Oh, glowing. You're glowing, Bryce. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I got my beauty rest. <laughs> When's your next show? So I have my next show next Wednesday uh, uh, on the show called Inside the Drag Closet. We do it on Wednesdays at 10.30 p.m. Uh, on WLFE-DB Radio and on our Inside the Drag Closet page. Check me out and you'll see me transform. Transform. Wouldn't that right. cool if it would have been a TikTok like button? Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find a firework to do fireworks now. If y'all remember nothing else, I remember this statement. Either you're a brick, come on, what? Or a sponge. <laughs> Zora Thomas, what you feeling like, baby? Oh, I can't hear you. That's okay, I'm going to take you off mute. Uh-oh. I'm here, right? Go I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. How are you? Turn, turn your head a little bit. Turn, turn it to the side. Boom! Come on, African artwork. I just oh. my background this time. How you feeling today? I'm all right. I'm all right. All right. I'm all right. So, um, I'm really excited, y'all. I can tell you that um, tomorrow is my one year anniversary with Glow. I'm telling everybody in a Tied up at 47 jobs since I've been 16, and that is the real number. Zora wow. can this. I will quit a job faster than um you can order McDonald's. I that I can stay on this spot. All right. Um, Jay Hall. Yes. Today we're passing the mic. So part two looks like to me. I got my little handy notes. Um, it looks like I don't want to steal your thunder, but um. The first, the first topic already got me. Like the topic today, y'all was really playing with them last week. Y'all was just stepping in, but the topic today, y'all gonna hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah, I'm gonna, that's the credit to um, the founder, Miss Charlene Anderson, and the, the Dream Team Supreme. Yeah, everybody else. I'm saying, why didn't the Esquire on the team? That's why they got you, Cosby, because y'all gonna cause some y'all gonna cause some issues today. But without further ado, we're passing the mic on over to Jay Hall with just for today. Well, hello everyone. Once again, hello, my name is Jay Hall. And last yeah. year, I mean I'm sorry, last week was an incredible multitude levels of lessons that I learned. I did my I was doing homework, I am continuing doing homework. Um, me and the founder, Ms. Charlene Anderson, we had a conversation on IG Live about how it affected us. And our friends hit me up on my DM, texting me, asking me questions. You know, everybody was loving the energy. So I just want to say it's an honor and a privilege to be back here with everyone on this panel. Thank you very much, everyone. Um, special shout out to Bryce, who crushing me with that shirt. Thought I had you. I literally wore this shirt to crush you because I knew I couldn't touch on your background, but then you came glowing. Um, all we don't have bars like Zora with sponge and brick, so you know we we gonna get to it. Okay, here's the heavy. Why is it when it comes to cis black men and the attraction to trans women doesn't have to mean death? 
Oh, I'm going to go to Zora first. <laughs> I wrote something about this. In my first book, I wrote something about this. And I had said, why is it after you, you climax, it means the end for me? This is deeply rooted in, in a, a trained and taught toxic masculine practice because trans women will always be seen as objects and objects with no subject. So when people try to personify our existence and put a name to our existence and put a name past coitus, our orientation is now equated to what's in between our legs instead of what we gave you. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. Tony, what you think? Um, the very first thing I thought of when you asked the question, Jay, um, was shame. Um, I think shame is, especially toxic shame, um, the, the embarrassment of, you know, being with a trans woman or being attracted to a trans woman, I think, is what ultimately leads to trans women dying. And that is of no fault of trans women. It's not trans women's responsibility to, um, to I, I guess, try to over, overcompensate for your own masculinity issues. But like I said, the very first thing I thought of was shame. And we don't really talk enough about how shame and, and masculinity intertwine with each other. Um, and, and these sort of emotions, because when I think of toxic, you know, masculinity, obviously you have all of these emotions, but, you know, how to cope with these emotions, you know, cis men aren't taught how to first and foremost deal with their emotions, you know, on a daily, uh, in the real world. So when you go behind closed doors and they're having these interactions with trans women, um, they like it. But then when, after they climax, as Zora said, uh, the feelings come back, the shame comes, you know, you're no longer lusting after, you know, what you really want. You realize that, you know, this attraction that you may have is wrong. They feel like the attraction that they have is wrong. And that's, that's pretty much the only way that I can say it. Cosby, what truth you bringing? Uh, a lot of it stems from self-hatred, man. I mean, you, you're taught that, you know, this is something to hate and something that is not right. And then you are that thing and that, that self-hatred comes out in violence. I mean, there's also fear of losing your social currency as a man. You're saying that what I'm doing is, is not what, you know, strong men do. So now I'm fearing, you know, that, that ostracization from my, uh, my tribe, you know, and, and, and now that I've, my, the, the point of, you know, anger and revulsion goes to another person instead of unpacking, you know, the hate that you've been, you know, given and learned. So, I mean, it's, it's not anyone's fault, but, you know, the person who was acting the violence. Yeah, it always seems like when it comes to in the black community, we have very little 
when we pass down besides the morals that we have within our own family structure and our own family neighborhood. So when we pass those things down, we hold on to them for dear life. Like it means everything. So yeah. if it means that I got to stand on this and either kill or be killed, especially if you come from certain environments. And honestly, I've come to the understanding you don't even have to technically come from the hood to have a kill or be killed attitude. It's what a lot of times when it comes to the black says, man, like what are they standing on? Like all I have is this idea of what manhood is. And now I made this mistake and I put this man. So it's your fault. It's your fault. It ain't my fault for interacting. It is totally your fault. You have somehow brought me into this. Do you see any other direction of why that tends to be Miss Charlotte? Um, I just am taking this in because, you know, I never really thought about some of these reflections, but it, it really reminds me of all the shame and guilt that's around sexuality uh, in general in the black community, right? Um, especially around, you know, my experiences around exploring my own, like coming into my own sexual identity and, and always feeling the shame with, you know, wanting it and then afterwards feeling this the shame and this guilt. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know uh, beyond that what that looks like, you know, in the trans community. I could imagine being with someone and then their reaction is to kill me in response. Like, that's, it's making me emotional just to, to gravitate, just to, like, process that um, and, and to deny my humanity in our exchange, you know. I'll probably kill, you know, i yeah. Mm -hmm. What'd you say, Bryce? Bryce, you hear me? So, um, just in general, this really reminds me about uh, the, the Hijra community in India, which is a community of individuals who are either uh, trans, non-binary, or they're uh, um, Munich. Uh, and they're a community that has primarily, um, in the past, been held at very high regard. They were often at, located at um, weddings, um, births, um, baby showers, et cetera, et cetera. If you had a, if you had an event that you wanted to be blessed and uh, highly favored, highly flavored, you would get someone who was identified as a hijra. Now they are seen more at the levels of be, have being a beggar, being someone who has to engage in sex work because they can't get any other uh, employment. And so I think that oftentimes it is, uh, it comes more from. I mean, it, it comes from within, first and foremost. But then as well as that, we have people who are in power who don't think that these individuals, trans people and non-binary individuals, deserve protection and safety, nor do they deserve life, liberty, and happiness. And so oftentimes, our, our trans and our non-binary brothers and sisters have to get into things like sex work to be able to survive. And oftentimes, they're being, they're treated less, I mean, if you're looking at, uh, a, a, a woman already from the perspective of uh, some men they're already less than so women are already getting paid less than men in general in daily society so how do you think they're getting treated in the life of sex work take being a trans or non-binary sex worker they are also not being paid the same and they're actually being paid less than the women specifically over in India uh, within the Hijra community and as well as that, they also have to worry about 
being molested by police officers, being molested by uh, government officials who have the right to molest or to treat them as if they're less than because of certain laws that are in place. So it, it, it's very, very complicated. It's not just the people themselves. It's not just at an, a micro level. This is a macro level issue where we need to be protecting and putting and putting uh, our trans and non-binary brothers and sisters in our hearts. Because until then, they will just be seen as sex objects or as play toys. Bryce, can I stick with you for one second? Let me ask you, what do you think it would take or what's something that you could suggest on how cis men and women can help in the Trans Lives Matter movement? You know, you know I've, I've watched so many videos of cis women making fun of or thinking that it's a joke to put a dildo in their pants and saying, oh, Babe, I gotta let you know something. I, I know we just started talking a little bit ago, but they pull out the dildo. I'm a man. Shows like Jerry Springer, shows like, you know, all these sensationalized shows, we do not need to be feeding into that because that feeds into a narrative that trans women are just trying, and trans and non-binary folks are just trying to trick people or trying to uh, be secretive about what they're doing. Trans and non-binary folks are just looking to have a relationship like uh, cisgender folks. They're looking for love. They're looking for acceptance. They're looking for happiness. And to be treated like as if you, once again, are either a sex object or some a play toy. And to have that narrative within the community saying, yes, they are just sex objects and play toys. We don't, that's what that. Stop it. Period. Ah. I'm thinking about it like right now, the first time I was probably introduced to anything of difference like that, of trans woman, uh, someone cross-dressing or whatever. You brought up Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer been around for like, what, going on 30 years. Jerry Springer and other movies have always gave me the image that a man was hiding in secret and manipulating the other person. And it was either performed as a joke or it was harmful. When you think about Jerry Springer, when the guy finds out that the woman he's been with is a man, the first thing he does, he launches and everybody's like cheering. There was never no warning underneath. It was none of that. And I digested that. And with, even if it was for 15, 10 minutes of just walking past, I still mm. like that subconsciously, not even being aware. So already I'm being introduced that this is the nature of this community. What do you think that also can be helpful, Zora? in helping with the Trans Lives Matter community coming from cis men and women? <clears throat> I think one of the major things that we as trans people need, the, like literally at the gate, respect my motherfucking pronouns. Motherfucker. Because once, once you normalize my pronouns and you out with your homeboys and you saying, Oh, my homegirl Zora. Or what you you're with your sister girlfriend. Oh, that's this this is this is oh my good girlfriend Zora. You have no idea how powerful just at the gate uh -huh. Uh -huh. normalizing my pronouns. Because that's the battle that we're having here. 
is you're not seeing my pronoun. What you're seeing me as is just a dude with big titties. You're seeing me as a dude with hair. Mm -hmm. You're seeing me as, as a dude that takes hormones. And and something that that I have been, I, I I thought about this since our last conversation. What I really need are black cis women. That's who I really need, because that's where this battle starts. That's where we begin to change things. Because once I know that I have a sister, sister. Mm-hmm. Once mm-hmm. she once she sees me as a woman. Once she accepts that I'm a woman, that's the truth that I need. That's the validation that 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 cishet men need, because our women see them as women. They see them as a sister. That's what I need. I also need. For cishet men to understand, just because I'm a transgender woman does not mean I owe you femininity. You can be cis cis They don't. You don't owe me masculinity. I don't owe you shit. I don't owe you any kind of gender norm. Mm-hmm. I don't owe you any kind of societal norm. Well, because you don't owe me that. I would never ask that of you, and please don't ask that of me. Exactly. Our my gender does not center around what's dangling in between my legs. It's what I'm giving you. It's simply what I'm giving you. If I wake up and tell you I want to be a goddamn horse, you better put a saddle on me and call me Sea Bitch. You better. That's exactly what you better do. That's it. I don't owe that to you. I don't owe you an image of looking like a pose girl. Mm. I don't owe you looking like like Laverne Cox from Orange is the New Black. I don't have to wear my makeup like a drag queen. I don't owe any of that to you. Understand that and respect that. Yep. I love when my talks. We get a tag in from JB. Your thought? Um. Somebody at the door. Um, well, Zora, you didn't already took me there. I, I will say, um, just to piggyback off Zora, when you normalize my norms and you and you tell me, oh, this is they them. When I have somebody, when somebody says, Oh, I don't understand, I don't give a damn if you understand it. I didn't ask you to understand my pronouns. That wasn't what I asked you. What I asked you was. Just use they, them. If you don't get it, my best friend told me, and I used to apologize. It, was, it wasn't until being here. My, on the first year I started here um, in January, I was putting they, them on my emails. I didn't say anything to anybody. Um, I didn't ask anybody to address me that way because I thought asking someone to address me as they, them would be an insult to them if they didn't want to do it. And so my job would start saying they, them. If they would, somebody would say he, they would say they. Um, my gay mother would say, no, that child, that's that's my they. 
That's my little gender non-conforming child. Period. Um, and I was talking to my best friend and I said, listen, I want to tell you my pronouns are they, them. I, you may not understand it and I will try to explain to you why I use the they, them pronouns. Um, but that's what I go by. But if you don't want to, if you don't, if you don't want to use it or if you slip up or you keep saying it's okay, it's cool. And she looked me in my face and it was an aha moment. She said, I am a cisgender woman. If someone called me, sir, I'd be pissed as hell. I'd be damned if you are not upset if someone does not use your terminology. It made so much sense. Why would I, why do I feel like I need to make anyone else feel any type of way about who I am? Mm -hmm. I say they, them, and that's what I mean. I feel that there is no woman or no male. It all intertwines for me. For me, what you do, what you use, how you do it is all up to you. Mm -hmm. You, period, point blank. Um, But when the question is, how do we get more involved? um, Is when um, our cisgender women, hetero women, um, stop playing on the trans women as a key and making them a laugh. Like, you're my girlfriend to come over Mm -hmm. and I mean like you. I can't help that you're being like me. You're my good girlfriend until it's time for you to invite over the house. My mama always told me people may think you cute, mm-hmm. but not everybody's going to invite you to their dinner table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's that it's that thing that we need to make sure that if you my girlfriend, can I come over? Do you trust me around your nigga? Your man. Mm-hmm. I got a little excited. If <laughs> trust me around your man, like is that what you? Is, Trust me around your child because I'm 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 I tended to be same gender loving because I choose to be same gender loving. Will you trust me around your son or your daughter? That's how I know, and that's how I know that there's a connection. Because there's times where I I went to a little kid party just a, I went to a little kid party last year, and a little boy about three year old was trying to use the bathroom, pants down to his shirt pulled up, trying to get it down packed. I surely won't. When child is in the restroom trying to go, Jay, why didn't you help him? Because I won't be the next one making small. You won't say, "Oh no, he touched." Because it's so easy. I've had people ask me, "Can you watch my child?" You don't touch kids, do you? It's that. It's that. It's that. It's that is what we mm-hmm. need as gender norm. Is to understand that trans women are women, no matter what they grew up with. When you see her, because damn it, I know it takes a hard for you to put your heels on every day, to beat your face, to make sure your hair is done, to make sure everything it is to be a woman in the process for you, she does too. She does it. So what is the, that's what I want to know. What is the issue and why can't you sit down and make a look good? Girl, doing this and I support you. I support everything that you do because you are a woman. Because that's what you choose to be. Because you lady. When, don't, you don't have no heaven or hell to put nobody in. And when people start to understand that, you can't put me in heaven and or hell. You can't mm-hmm. tell me nothing. That's all I got. I got really excited. It was Doris for First of all, I would be a fool to not acknowledge the spiritual awakening that Zoro is catching on the side. He gave a very passionate response. And Zoro was the hype individual in the background with every bar. So we I have to acknowledge 
real quick. I literally was just telling somebody this story. Zora, it would have been this week a year ago that me and Zora went to me, Zora, and one of, and my cousin, which were all friends, went to a bar to celebrate me getting this job. And to watch a little bit of um whatever we was watching that day, walked into a bar and a man told Zora that she was not a woman because her hair was not long enough and her ID didn't match up. Wow. We're in a gay white establishment and still she couldn't get no respect on her name. Just a, just a year ago this week. I'll never forget that. That was the first time I had ever been so angry about somebody doing something to one of my friends when she held her head down and said, I just want to go. I don't even want to cause no issue. Mm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm back no, no, no. We appreciate it, baby. We appreciate it because people need to see that passion and need to understand that human connect. So that was very much so needed. And, you know, Zora in the background. They need to see that cause and effect. Charlotte, when you hear that as a cisgender black woman, what do you say? I'd say we have work to do. Um, I, I received that. And um, it, it made me think about a, a lot of things, a, a lot of things about this, this movement of womanism and feminism and how I think so much of it's powered a by black queer community. And then also, you know, think about Alice Walker and um, even Zoranelle, who, who defied these, these gender roles and gender expectations, right? And then how much more so I don't feel the weight anymore of needing to confine to anyone else's expectations, probably because of black trans women, you know what I'm saying? And, and the movement that they're pushing. So now I don't need to worry about, you know, it's, it, I, I talked to Jay about this before, you know, when I was coming up, like in high school, I used to wear uh, board clothes all the time. I, was, I wore my dad's clothes. I still lean. I'd rather be comfortable. <laughs> um, you know, I enjoy both the feminists and wearing hoodies and not being bothered. Um, and my femininity is never in question. And and I can pull what I need to from it. So anyway, that, that's part of it that I'm thinking about that there's a thanks that needs to go to that because I think now black women have more power to define what our womanhood looks like individually. Right? Two is how much I've been affirmed by black trans women, whether on screen or in person. And I think there's something reflecting back. And I remember the first time I watched Pose and um, how much I saw so much of myself in there and that mirror uh, back to me, but it was affirming. Um, and so how can we begin to make sure that we're doing the same for black trans women? Now, I know our time as usual, we just, we look at how far we're going. But I do have to touch on something that Zora brought up. I owe y'all an extra 10 minutes because we started late. What'd you say? I'm sorry. I owe y'all an extra 10 minutes we started late. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, Zora brought up, you know, one of my favorite shows, which was Pose. And the one thing that Pose showed real early, that myself, once upon a time, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people, they put everybody in one box. They put gays, they put trans, they put everybody in one box. They, you know, they can only understand so many letters. And Pose, I think one of the early episodes of season one, they were showing the divide between, between the trans community and the gay community. And how that was an issue even back then and how it would probably still be an issue right now. What is a role that queer people play in the harm of your trans lives and creating queer phobia? And let me just go to Tony real quick and see what your response is. 
Can you open the question again real quick before Tony asks it? Because that's a deep question. My question is, what role do you think that queer people in their community play? Queer and gay people in their community play in the role of transphobia? Y'all want to start something tonight. <laughs> we don't give you an extra 10 minutes. Y'all want to start something tonight. Uh, well, to answer the question, Jay, um, does, is everybody here familiar with Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, um, the trans activists um, who um, back in the 70s uh, were at Stonewall? Anyway, I had uh, been doing some research on them because, you know, basically the LGBT movement is founded off of the work that these ladies were doing. And I remember seeing a video of Sylvia Rivera. She was at a protest. This is a trans woman, and she was protesting the conditions that they were living in, especially trans women, um, the children on the streets, the poor. And this was in front of an audience of all queer people, and they booed her. They booed her so badly, and she, and to her credit, she still kept going with her speech, but they booed her so badly that she ended up quitting in the movement. Um, and that was really disheartening for me to see, especially because we're all supposed to be family. And yet we treat our trans brothers and sisters like they mean nothing. Um, we misgender them on purpose. Um, and I, I'm including myself in that argument as well, because, you know, before I came to, you know, my own LGBT awakening, I, you know, participated in things, you know, unknowingly and sometimes knowingly, you know. Um, but... Our, the role that we play is so significant and to even look back now and I almost feel so emotional because I didn't realize and I didn't understand the depths of pain that people go through um, and the ways that black trans women are being murdered and to see that not everybody in our community is on board, you know, especially the black LGBT community is not on board, you know, for protecting these women's lives it makes you emotional it makes you sad and we have to also understand that we play a part in that as well we're not exempt just because you know we're in the same community you know we still can you know be um misogynist especially cishet gay men we can still be transphobic we can still be homophobic we can do all of these things so i think the part that queer people play especially is we don't need to remove ourselves from what trans people and non-binary people are going through. We need to, you know, listen to what they're saying because really this whole movement was really built off of the backs of them, period. I would just like to say we probably all need about two seconds because that heat was real. Thank you very much, Tony, for that. I would love to spend more time on that, but this, this if y'all can see what I see, trust me, you want me to get through as much as possible. And this one is for my man Cosby, so pay attention. As we all know, the black church in Christianity has had that strong role on what the black community and others have felt about the trans community and the gay community. What role, Cosby, would you say that Bible and Christianity has been used to weaponize gay, women, and black people? I take your time, whichever one. Um. I mean, if you know me, you know I have issues with Apostle Paul. Um, you know, that, that's, that's something that's, you know, it, it's irked my soul since I was a kid. And um, 
what what I learned, you know, even this week, I was like, let me go back and let me study, and I, I, I see how the church has reinforced bias, reinforced hate, and and a huge problem is that we had Jesus come down and say, hey, I'm gonna go ahead and fulfill the covenant of the Old Testament, and then I'm gonna give you two, two, two commandments. One, you know, love God, because you know. Other one, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and 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 I and I don't. I don't see a lot of churches doing that. And when, when, I, when I say love your neighbor like you love yourself, you can't choose your neighbor. And you, you love yourself. is Whoever you are, that neighbor's going to be different. And so in order to, to get to the kingdom of heaven, you got to love your neighbor. And then you have, you know, Jesus come through, lives his life, dies for our sins. And then you have Apostle Paul who, who met him on the way out. And he says, you know what? I'm going to write some things that are going to allow people to hate some neighbors. And that's what the, the church has done, you know, and in and, and the last hundred years, it's pushed the narrative of, of who you should hate more. Um, and, that, and that's where we are, man. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I definitely had struggles when it came to the black church, just in my own journey, because I could not understand the contradictions and things that would be in practice, even amongst myself with my skin color. You know, when you, you know, everybody, I'm pretty sure can probably remember the famous documentary we all had to watch Eyes on the Prize. And, you know, you had pastors and reverends that were speaking and misquoting the Bible about black people. And so I couldn't understand how if we witnessed that they were misquoting about black people and justifying their hate. What would make you think that they wouldn't do the same for somebody else? And I always kind of stood alone that even when I wasn't you know, Takaz said, like, a full conscious mind, but it just confused me too much. And, you know, people in our community, instead of saying, I don't know, they gave you some answer, they dismissed you and told you, go play. Bryce, mm-hmm. what do you think when it comes to that, when it comes to the black church in this world? And it weaponizing women, the trans community, gay community, and like I told Kaz, take your pick. Well, you know, it, it's it's complicated. It really is. Because for the black community, oftentimes we use the Bible and, uh, well, I'll say um, the Bible oftentimes black people used specifically black back during times of slavery and moving forward from that because they saw, they could see themselves in Jesus. They could see themselves and they could see their struggles and they could see that Jesus struggled as well and that he was able to um, triumph and that he was able to eventually be free and oftentimes they use that narrative for themselves but the thing is that bible that they held so closely to which really was the only thing that they were uh, allowed to somewhat read um was being used to say well black people need to be uh, obedient to their slave owners and love their slave owners and their masters and so it's difficult because you have a book, you have a. You, I have this conversation with my with my uh, with my family here, and you know, I said, you know, the Bible was written by men. Period, point blank. The Bible was written by a man, by several men, by hundreds of men, and it has just been uh, through the years been translated, and you know, just been been tarnished, and you know, whether or not it has. You know, I, you know, I've used my words very carefully here because I don't want to step on toes. But the Bible has been used to make this world a much 
more difficult place if you are not white and heterosexual. Because white and heterosexual people are the ones who were able to take that Bible. When we look into the actual historical backgrounds of when Jesus was living, was he living in North America? Was he living in Seattle, Washington? Was he white? Did he have straight hair? No. We know that he looked just like everybody on this here screen. But we're not taught that. We're not, that's not what's being fed down our throats. And we need to be trying to achieve and attain that white cis heteronormativity if we want to be like Jesus, if we want to be true Christians. And oftentimes, that book is used whenever we are acting out because we're embarrassing our family. Charlotte, what's your experience? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I agree with everything that's been said, you know, and I am, you know, Southern born, bred, devout Christian. Um, and even that has been, um, um, as I, I find my own voice in the Bible in, in some reckoning, you know what I'm saying? And I am just not, you know, I, I begin to personify Paul. Like I know Paul. Feel like, you know, that person that got hurt, disgraced by his crush, he never got over it, right? He never learned how to deal with women. He never learned how to, like, deal with his, his own stuff. And then he used the power that he had to, um, and you see people do the, from a pulpit or a song to, like, come at the people that, um, that hurt him. And I believe that, um, just what Lauren said, we have a responsibility to love. And that's, that's, that's my calling, my my only responsibility um, as a, as a human on this earth, um, and to elevate what love is and looks like, and not just the bare minimum of like respect, but like how can I honor your humanity um, as a fellow person on this earth? And I mean, a not killing any, you know anyone based off their their gender or pronouns, um, and then also um, allowing people to evolve into whoever they feel like they need to be to be happy on this crazy, crazy planet we live on, um, and especially, especially, especially um, to love my black people more um, because of the weight of this oppression that we live in. So I just don't want to be a, a hindrance to anyone's um, journey. I think that's my, my, my divine calling. How can I get out the way and not um, perpetuate the hate you know, we hear this from the pad about how the black church was pretty much the headquarters, headquarters for the civil rights movement, headquarters for strategies, and it was considered a safe haven. But it doesn't seem to be presented as that as much or even at all at, in 2020 or in the 1990s or anything past after MLK passed away. And the more we reveal behind the curtain, it doesn't sound like it was that much of a safe, of a safe place even back then in the most sacred times. What do you say to that, JB, about the black church not seen as a scene or feeling like a safe place for a community like the trans community or the gay community. Um, one thing that um, I was told is that um, demons know demons. That's one thing I was taught. Demons know demons. So, um, it gets mighty funny to me and mighty sticky stepping in churches 
Um, because I've seen beyond the pulpit. Um, I've seen beyond it. I've smoked with the best. I've drank with the best. I've fornicated with the best. And they've gotten up the next day and they've preached you the best word they can be. But my, but I'm still on their lips as they come in off. So for me, um, being beyond the pulpit really makes me very skeptical of being in church. I have friends that are licensed ministers um, throughout the country um, that practice LB, practice within our community. Um, and I'll have conversations with like, hey, I work at this LGBT center. Why don't you come get tested? Or why don't you come do this? Because you're still living a life. You think that because you're on your knees praying, and then this is another thing. I'm sorry. Because I've had a lot go on with me in the church. I've been, I've always been told since I've been knee high to a grasshopper, I'm called to the word. I don't, I don't have time to play. Um, anytime I go to church, I have done a two month, a two year stint in church. Um, the church I was at, um, one of the ministers made a post about um, a, they misgendered a transition trans woman um, who won prom queen last year, and they were like, "This is what happens when the boy." It was just a very derogatory post. It, it blew up over Facebook. It was an argument between me and the church, and I had three people that stood behind me when the when the minister went through the congregation and said, "Is homosexuality a sin? Yes or no?" Because that caused harm. Because there had people inside of the church who was in leadership team, who has kids, who are dealing with this. And now you have to make them make a decision so they can sit where they have to sit. And are you harming me? These are the same ministers that that will tell you, um, you just got to pray it away. I've been trying to pray the gay away for the longest. It's not going nowhere. So it's either I'm going to try to pray this away and don't believe in God and don't believe that hope and don't have the face of a mother who will kill myself. Or I have to know that I was a unique creature and God created us all different for a reason and understand how to move beyond and move past and know that I am who I am regardless of who I step in the church. But one thing's for sure, two things for certain. I said, if I step foot back into a church, I need you to be real. I need you to be real about what you're doing behind a pulpit. Because if you were saying I was messing with so-and-so, I was messing with the choir director, I was messing with the organist, I will respect that. And then you say I'm struggling and I need help. Because not everyone that walks this lifestyle is really meant for this lifestyle. A lot of, there are some people who were told that you're gay and they didn't believe that they could come out of anything. So when you get to that gut level honesty and start talking about some stuff beyond the pulpit, you free these people. But when you condemn these people and you condemn us and tell us what we're not and how we're not right and how we're going to go to hell, because you don't have a heaven and hell to put me in. Because you ain't been there. You ain't yet seen the promised land, Moses. But yet, you have so much to say about this community. So much. I was in church. I had a hat on. They told me to take my hat off. I'm not taking my hat off. If you're not going to take, um, tell sis down here to take her hat off, I don't care. I'm going to rock my pocketbook to church because that's where you get my tithes and offering. I'm okay and I'm cute and I'm fine when my money is going in the collection plate. You want to pray and you want to hug. The last time I really went through something and I, I was like, I don't want this gay stuff anymore. I remember a word coming, and I was like, I just, I'm not going to be anymore. I'm going to pray this away. And I remember being held down. I remember the oil being pulled on me. I remember the oil going in my mouth. I remember I being crazy from the Frankenstein and mural and saying, and getting up and going home and taking a shower. And that night, still getting on Grinder, 
still had the urge to be able to still be with the man. That's all I gotta say. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I mean, you did preach though. You did preach. I never understood the infatuation with hell because it always seems like the weather is trash. It's been way too cold or way too hot. So I never understood why everybody wanted to throw it. Zora, when you hear about the black church, your opinion is? Girl, this is not what y'all want. This is what I've been waiting on. Let me step away. <laughs> I went to church by myself. My family did not go. And I was very devoted. Okay? Um, this pastor has since died. And um, was 13. Bishop Larry A. Harris. I'm, I'm putting it out there. And I went. And I was so excited. You know, I'm 13 years old. My hormones are going all over the place. Man, you don't know. You liking everything. And, and I knew I liked men. I like women. I like men. Hey. And he told me, your voice is going to be used for the nations. The, the nations. Everyone's going to hear it. And God's going to deliver you. That word deliver is going to come very, very important when I get to the end of this little two-minute rant. My mother hated this church that I went to. Hated it. Couldn't stand it. And I'm going, and I'm fasting, and I'm praying. And we had, we had church a lot. So Monday, we didn't have no church. Tuesday, I went to church to clean. We had Wednesday night service. Then we had Friday night service. Then Saturday morning, we had prayer at either 7 or 8. It alternated every, every Saturday. Choir rehearsal, praise dance rehearsal. Then on Sunday, you had 9 o'clock service. Then you had Sunday school at 1030. Then you had 1145 service. Then you went to, usually went to with, with church. 545, you came back for service. And if you didn't, if you didn't get to all services, you get in the side eye. So when I got into high school, I was director of our choir. The, the, the Lisa Baller Gospel Choir. I was the director. My pastor wouldn't let me sing in other churches. We'd be invited to sing in other churches. But I couldn't go because my voice belonged to this church. My gifts belonged to this church. The whole time, and this is a big church at the time now, he's preaching fire and brimstone. He used to call homosexuality unclean flesh. I'll never forget it. We had unclean flesh. And I isolated myself from people in school. I carried my Bible to school. And I wanted you to see that I had it. Because I needed to get delivered now. I attempted suicide my first time when I was 14. Because I couldn't get it off. I was trying to fast it out and speak in tongues and lay in hands. And I was shouting and dancing and flipping over tables. Trying to climb underneath carpets. Trying, trying to get this thing off of me because this thing was unclean flesh. The whole time he's telling me that this is the love of God. Him chastising me and putting me on blast was, a, was loving. He took me one time. It was a Friday night service. There were about 700 people in this sanctuary. Mind you, I have no friends. What people from church? I was 16. He said, stand on the chair. He came down from the pulpit with the oil and put an X on my head and said, no one is to speak to him because God needs to deliver him. That only my male ministers can speak with him and deal with him the whole time they're filling me up. I'm sitting here rolling around in oil and fasting. 
starving myself, cutting myself furious because you can't go to, to, a, to a therapist because that's a demon. Mental health is a demon. Depression is a demon. You can pray it off. All the while, spirituality, I am doomed. And my mental health is killing me. And I am praying to a God that hates me for what you're saying. This God hates me. I'm giving every bit of my offering. I'm tithes and offering. He had this thing where give a thousand dollars to the church. He got a thousand dollars. Each of you give a thousand dollars, and they put your plaque on a little little plaque on a chair. I was trying to save up to give this thousand dollars. Oh my God, I wanted him to have. He was the closest thing to God. I could never get that close to God. So I'm thinking that in this church. Where people, I'm alone. My mother's not here. I ain't got no siblings here. So it's just me. So when these 50, 60-year-old ministers are telling me that I'm not a man and I'm not going to heaven, you tell me I'm going to hell when you get your ticket to heaven. Show me your ticket. Show me your one-way ticket to heaven and I'll change my tune. Literally battering a 13-year-old boy. And I'm thinking this is God. I'm dying, craving God. I, I, I want to be in the upper echelon of glory. I want to be oily and fire baptized. Oh my God, I want to be like everybody else. My brother had a wedding, and I got this Google internship to UC Berkeley. I'll never forget it. I've never been on a plane in my life. I never thought that I'd get out of Harrisburg on a plane like this. UC Berkeley through Google. I told my pastor, I was so excited. I was excited. He said to me, you're going to go to California and you're going to get your ass packed. He ain't say behind. He said, you're going to go down there and you're going to fall into a reprobate spirit. And reprobate means when the spirit of God leaves you. You're going to go and be reprobate. You're going to be with homosexuals and you're going to get your ass packed. I was 17 years old. And I went. Down there, I couldn't even enjoy all these people from all over the world. Couldn't even enjoy them because I thought that I was going to be polluted. I came back. I got the homecoming. First runner up. I missed two services in two weeks. I got my first runner up sash and came to church. He told me, I can't wait for you to get that sash in heaven. Oh my God, I was so excited. I was so filled. Oh my God, hallelujah. That Tuesday, he called me for the Duke Kiss, Brother Rashad. In August, this is October, I cut him off. So I wanted to be clean. He said, I don't want your faggot spirit in my church infecting my members. And if you want to come back in here, you need to be inspected and ministered by them. My mother was on the phone, muted. And I told him, I'd, I'd be damned. I know what to do, thinking that God hates me. I'm running around trying to find God in liquor bottles. I went to Messiah College and got gay bashed. I'm trying to find it in the backs of men. I'm trying to find in car back seats. I'm praying. I'm going to Buddha. I'm trying to figure out where is the God that he told me about that God loved me. Going to different churches, and they knew who I was. I went to another church, this all nations, and he went up and said, Isaiah, come up here. That was my dead name, Isaiah, come up here. I want to pray for you. Church full of people, and they all knew that he was praying for homosexuality. I got up there, and all I could do was cry. And they're thinking it's the Holy Ghost. But this olive oil feels like gasoline. It is burning me. And I'm thinking it's a demon. 
The church would rather have my blood and my money. And I'll be damned. I have no power for it. I have no energy for it. I go to a church now, my pastors are both black, they're lesbians, and they're married. Transgender people, I'm speaking at a conference next month. Our first conference I get to speak at as a black trans woman. I get to I get to pray to my ancestors and find Jesus at the same time. And I never thought I'd find it. So as much anger as I have at the black church, I have sympathy because, oh my God, how many of them are in there still under the pulpit, ah. living under the altar. Come on. Literally holding up the altar, not knowing what to do, praying to a God that they think hates them and speaking in tongues and Ronda Shanda Kanda and, and putting on their best hats and their best suits from Eddie and putting on their, their, their best dresses to a God that they think hates them. And they think that that's where God is. <laughs> that's what I feel about that. Girl, <clears throat> I think I speak for everyone and beyond when I say thank you for sharing that journey because that is a luxury for you to share that because that should not be taken lightly. Because you told that experience and if it had happened to you just yesterday. And that is a testament to those who feel that you are just supposed to get over trauma and think that it is going to be something that you can't keep holding on to. And you are speaking to some real truth. Because Let me say one more like, thing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. When I started going to therapy a few years ago, thank God she was a black woman. God bless black women and, and, and psychology and mental health because we need y'all. We really need y'all. There are not many. My therapist told me something, and I cried for days. She said, you've been through a lot physically and emotionally over your childhood and through your life. She said, but you were spiritually abused. Mm. Yes. And I've never heard that statement before. And I cried for days. But you were literally spiritually abused. And I, I, I'm praying that there, there are some, there's a young gay black boy who's listening to this. There's a young gay black girl listening to this. There's somebody that's confused about the gender. They want to be free that's listening to this. You better run because the God that you're going to find inside of you, once you accept self and once you love self, the God that made you is inside of you, honey. And once you love that thing and you find that thing, can't nobody fuck with you. That's all I got to say. I just want to turn in real quick and say, I told y'all. Yeah, you did. I told you. <laughs> because I, one thing's for sure and two things for certain, if it was not for a woman like Zora, who could understand. Like, I remember being in prayer with Zora. Like, we're going to do this together. We're going to fast together. We're not going to be gay. I remember being in chasing those same bottles with her. I remember, mm. I remember, so it's like, it's fresh for us. Like, we, we, we. And you know what's so interesting about that, JB and Zora, is that I recognize my privilege as a black man because I didn't put in half that effort that you all put in. None. And yet I can roll out of bed and walk in right now, say I slept with a bunch of women, and in about three years, I'll probably be a high rank. And someone can get mad about that, but it happens. And I'm recognizing that right now because... When people say that, and thank you again, Zora, for sharing your story, and JB, you also too. When people say that, it's no wonder why a lot of black millennials are kind of leaving the church. And so when I think about the one church I was like 
involved in. It was a black woman, and she always spoke about her ex her experiences. She spoke about how nobody wanted her as a black woman to be the head of this church. And she was a very popular woman who's no longer with us. And then one day, I, I was so into her, and then one day she gave this 30-minute rant about how homosexuality was wrong. And they're going to burn in hell, and they're going to die. And I never returned. But it's her I, I, I didn't go back. Now, what do we say when we hear black millennials and their own personal issues, and they and you guys have shared stories like that? What's other reasons why black millennials are leaving the church? And is there a possibility they can come back? Tony, let me go to you. What is her? Um, I don't know really why uh, black millennials are. Well, I don't want to say I don't know why black millennials are leaving the church. I think obviously, like with time. The church, we've realized now that we can organize within ourselves. Um, we can organize on our college campuses. We can create our own organizations, you know, like what you guys did, starting with today. You know, we don't necessarily need the church to be our base anymore. And we're also realizing that, you know, the church, as much as we try to romanticize it, it's really hurt a lot of people. Um, not just, you know, the LGBT community, you know, also other people, you know, all of us, we've all had and experienced hurts. Um, many of us, you know, not to the certain extremes, but, you know, we've all felt certain things about the church and, and ways about the church. And we've also learned, you know, from our, like our parents and our grandparents, a lot of the things that they taught us, well, and, and this is just speaking for me, a lot of the things that my grandparents and my parents taught me from church, it didn't really translate for me. Because I can't go around, you know, spouting in one breath, you know, I love the Lord, but then the next, I hate fags. You know, I, I can't do that. That's hypocrisy to me. And millennials are so, thank God for millennials, because we are just now, I feel like people think that we complain and they think that, you know, we're just voicing whatever, but we're breaking the chains, you know, literally breaking the chains you know, and, and finally able to do what our parents and their parents and their parents could never do. You know, we finally have, you know, in a way found our own voice and then say, you know, we don't need the church to define our sexuality, our humanity, you know, who we are as people. It doesn't define us. We can go outside of that. And so that's what I'm really, I'm thankful for that, you know, because like JB and Zora, I've been in those same spaces too. I realized young, the church was no place for somebody like me, you know, um, the amount of shame, the toxicity. I remember one pastor, you know, like everybody else said at 14, you know, telling me that I'm going to go to hell, you know, because I'm a punk because I decided not to look at the lady who, you know, was bent over in the next pew who had a, ni a nice big booty, you know, and there are the men looking at me, you know, oh, he's a punk, you know, no clowning my dad because, you know, I, I didn't look, you know, things like that. It, it's it's those experiences that we've all tapped into and we just say we've had enough and I'm here for it. You know, the church isn't the only place that you can find God in. Ah, anywhere. But two or more are gathered. <laughs> JB, real quick, what, what time you gave us two, JB? Listen, we got two more topics. Um, I, I just want to know the exact time. I don't told me last week I'm relinquishing your show to you, all hands on deck. So if y'all need to run a little bit over, we still have had the same eight, nine viewers. Okay. Have, it has literally stayed between seven and nine viewers. So it's the same people. Okay. I just want to be sure. I mean, uh, we... Uh, I just want to be sure. 
Um, I just say real quick before we jump to the next topic. No, we're not about to jump, Rodney. We're not about to jump. I got okay, you. Cool. You know I'm going to call you. Your background, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just cut a line to Charlotte. I just wanted to ask Charlotte because she had mentioned that she had that Southern black church upbringing. And so I want to know when she's hearing all this, what is your response to that? Um, it, it, I think from us, for me, it's what Tony kind of mentioned, the hypocrisy, right? So we can't celebrate um, homosexuality as long as they're leading our choirs and our um, theater ministries, our dances. We're okay with that. They're musicians. Everything we love about the black church. Because you get black queer. You know. Because <laughs> these singers, you can sing. That's the only. you. If you can play the drums, if you if you can mind oh, real good, you can sing. You can direct oh, the choir. Oh, choir. It's oh, the only thing you're allowed. Right? So we can go see Alvin Ailey. We can celebrate all these things, but we can't. Um, we can't honor the humanity of those in our church. And so, um, um, I've been. I, I, I wrestled with that. I also wrestled. You know, I was recently. Uh, it's been a, earlier this year. Like my mom was talking about. You know, why don't you just find a good man in the church? And I was like, <laughs> the worst experiences I've had with men have been in the church. Absolute worst experience that have denied my humanity as a woman have happened in a black Christian church, and so I was like, I have no desire to be with a man that is super church. No, this is absolutely not appealing. Um, I want a man with a good heart and who sees the humanity in everyone on this planet, and and those are my requirements. Those are my bare minimums. <laughs> Um, and then we can have a conversation from there. So those, those have been my um, experiences. Just the hypocrisy and, and I think the call to what does love look like? Um, and I think y'all have to like dig deeper in that. And I, I don't think it's a passive thing. I think it's I think it requires action. I think it requires a lot more conversations like this in our private spaces, in our public spaces. It requires, requires advocacy. Um, it requires like everybody uh, picking up picking up this burden so it's not just falling on a small group of people. Bryce, what you say? <laughs> so first and foremost, I really want to say thank you so much, Sora, for sharing your story. Thank you, because that's going to touch so many people's that that touched even here on the panel. People were people were tearing up and crying. So thank you for that. And it's just so frustrating because I I, I have a client who just came to me the other day who told me that because he has found his religion. He no longer wants to live a bisexual lifestyle. He wants to be heterosexual. And he's 31 years old. 31 years old. He's lived 30 years of his life, and now all of a sudden he... And that is the reality of what a lot of queer people see with the church. And that's one of the biggest reasons why for me, I've dropped it off. When I was in high school, I dropped it off because I noticed I couldn't talk. I mean, I couldn't talk about the things that I enjoy talking about my queerness and me coming into my queerness at the church. I was told by the pap, the preacher, the pre- uh, by the first lady, thank goodness you were, you were born on the 29th of October. Cause if you were born on the 31st, you would have been an evil baby. After all this work I've put in here at this church, so you know it's it's just 
when you say what can get why are queer why are millennials leaving the church how can we get millennials to get back into church why do we need to have millennials in church why do we need to have gen z in church because we have never been accepted nor have we ever been wanted there so if we can find happiness and say, uh, find our, our, our people either on Facebook or Twitter or on TikTok and we can fellowship with them that way, we're here. And the thing is, you know, it's just like you need in order to be a good person, you need to go to church. Well, that's not true. A lot of the things, a lot of the initiatives that we are pushing social justice wise goes against the conservative point of view of, uh, well, goes against the point of view of conservative Christians. Does me, should, should I be in shackles or be stoned because I'm queer? Should I be, you know, it's just like, it's just, how is that better? And the thing that always sticks with me, because whenever I came out to my family, um, I, I was told, well, I love you, but no sin is greater than any other sin. And that will forever, forever be etched in my mind. No sin is greater than So you're telling me that me being gay, just being gay, just being queer, is equal to me going out and going out and murdering somebody, me committing adultery, me cussing people out, me being a, I mean this me just existing is the same as the pastor going and bring and, and molesting little boys. <clears throat> that's the same. So that's, that's that's the perspective that we we queer people have, I mean, a lot of queer people I won't say all people but these are the stories you've gotten stories from Zora you've gotten stories from JP you've gotten stories from me this is the, you've gotten stories from Tony these, this is the reality the church is filled with toxic masculinity and hate and we we say that in order for you to be accepted by our community you need to come here that is not real that's not that's not, that that just it just that, why does that make sense. Why do we have an in and out community? Let me say this really quick. Uh, I'm, right, I'm, right, I'm coming right up your alley, so come on now. I do believe, I do believe that the scripture says, that Jesus said, and read, mm. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? So, Paul's not the way. I don't give a damn what Paul said. I don't care what Moses said. I don't give a damn what anybody else said because literally what was said was, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. So what I'm worried about is what's in red. I don't need to Come on, I didn't ask you. I didn't ask you for your I didn't ask you for your experience. I didn't ask you what you were struggling with. I didn't ask you about your, your crippling social anxiety and why you can't get married. I asked you nothing about your, your, your beef with with Corinthi with the Corinthians, the the the, the Colossians. Mm -hmm. I asked you nothing about what Philemon said. I asked you about what Titus is doing with his slaves over there. I asked you shit. The Bible said that he said, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. So when you come to me with some BS that ain't about nothing that's in the red about loving people and loving your neighbor. And treating others as you yes. want to be yourself to be treated—that means you're in the you're, way. You're, uh, you're, you're in the way of the way. 
So I don't give a damn what you think because your grandma oh. didn't, didn't, didn't make the way. Your, your, your uncle didn't make the way. Your pastor didn't make the way. He's trying to interpret how to get his way there. And like I said, once your ass gets a ticket, yeah. then you can know yeah. what it says on it. Until then, mm -hmm. there'll be some gay people up in heaven, and there'll be some straight people up in hell. There'll be some straight folks in heaven. There'll be some gay people in hell. And not because they're orientated. But Zora, but how they Zora treated people. is heaven segregated? By <laughs> hell no. Yeah, I hope not, because that means I probably won't have a place. Because if, if it's white Jesus, we ain't got no place hell. For 4C Jesus, 4C Jesus, my homeboy 4C Jesus, we in there like swimwear. In there. Oh, JB, <laughs> if you don't mind, JB, let me just ask because I think one thing I'm hearing amongst everybody is how committed a lot of people are where they become echo chambers. And we don't necessarily ask those questions. Like, I, re I remember one time, I was just real simple. I was in the bathroom and I went to wash my hands. And my mom was always like, don't use the air dryer. The air comes from dirty air outside. And one day, as a grown man, I just was like, "That's it's, I don't even know if that's true. I'm about to dry my damn hand because it just didn't make any sense to me. And I had that thing, right? And that, that might seem so simple, but there are people. But listen, this is my mother. I love my mother, right? I'm great. I'm committed to the love of my mother. And like me and Charlotte had had these conversations over and time again, people commit to the individual that gave them this information. And so somehow they think that when you are confronting them, you are confronting their loved one. And uh -huh. we already talk about how as a black community as a whole, we already have like so little. Like we're not past, we're not, my last name is not Ford. I'm from Detroit. So Ford, Chrysler, they're, they are real people that people don't sometimes think about. And we don't have that to be passed down. Like the whole name doesn't have anything to be passed down but that. So when you pass down some of these morals and these things, I'm committed to those things because of the love that I got from my big homie, my father, my mother, my auntie. And so there are people right now who are probably listening to this and they're getting riled up and they're getting angry. But because this is for you. But last week we had talked to um, Cosby had mentioned about the family member that we all knew was living a lifestyle. Right? And we, we just kind of either the family just kind of dealt with it. But they were isolated. But I think we should talk about a little bit about this culture of silence and what does it do as far as we make an unhealthy? Because there are those who may feel that because they did not say anything, that they are not participants in it. So if there's anyone who can shine in that, I'm going to tag Cosby on that first as I pulled from him, about that culture of silence amongst our community. I grew up Jehovah's Witness. And so when you talk about a culture of silence, you uh, have an organization that is based on silence, uh, based on silencing people, based on not questioning. I remember being 11 and 12, and I, I'm reading the Bible for myself. I'm like, are you telling me I got to read Bible study? Let me read it for myself. So then when I'm, you know, talking to someone in it, I'm like, you know, that doesn't say it. You know, especially Paul, you know, Paul didn't talk to God. He said, this is what I think. You know, if you read the preface and mm -hmm. It, it, I was told that I was getting negative influences and that, you know, I needed to, to work on my relationship with God. And I was silenced um, for that. You know, they didn't want me talking to other kids um, because they thought I'd be a negative influence. And, and what I've learned is that ignorance is power. So keeping people isolated, keeping people from expressing who they are is a form of power. 
and you want to control like the way they dress, the way the way they talk, you know, not even into sexuality agenda. You know, you start from, you know, who, who they love, you know, what they love and you have the ability to, you know, control generations. And that and that is something that I believe that a lot of people who are millennials have figured out. They say, wait a minute, um, this I'm free. Uh, uh. Charlotte, what do you say to that? And JP, I want you to respond after her, JB. Charlotte, what do you say to that? The culture of um, Yeah, I, I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. Like, we have responsibility if we're going to say we're going to love, right? It requires action. The same way we ask um, white allies to, you know, advocate for Black Lives Matter, the same way we're advoca um, advocating for protect black women, um, say her name, um, black trans lives matter. It requires some action behind that. It, it requires us to speak up and get uncomfortable and have conversations in private spaces, um, in public spaces where where it's facing communities that aren't going to be an echo chamber. Like, are we willing to go against the grain to to have these these harder conversations, um, but necessary because yeah, um, I, I think a lot about the, this time that we're in right now and how a lot of it mirrors the, the leading up to the Holocaust, right? And how, you know, MLK has, has said before about this, this um, how we're all in this justice thing together. And I think that is where we have to realize we are. If we're okay, we're not saying nothing. And I'm just, I can't let my, it just don't sit well with my spirit's not saying nothing. So I think I think we all have responsibility and to, to amplify the voices um, that are living in that community, um, that are that have that those experiences and let them tell their stories and elevate uh, their stories and then also um, affirm affirm each other's humanity at every turn. JB, when I think culture and silence, um, this like started to boggle my mind because I go back to being a small center for transgender women. Appreciate JB frozen. Everybody see that? What is it you mean? Am I good? Yeah, you good. I can okay. see. What I think. Is there uh, anybody who's not frozen? Wait, Charlotte, you're not frozen? I'm not frozen either. Unfortunately, somebody, me and Charlotte are the only ones who are not frozen, and I can't control her mute. So I'm going to speak on the culture of silence until it gets rebooted. Oh, JB, is that you? Yeah, I don't think JJ, you're, you're probably frozen. Yeah, you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel frozen. I, I apologize. Please give me grace. I, I didn't pay the internet bill yet. Oh, I was going to say, well, let me make sure Glow paid theirs. Apologies, baby. Proceed. I'll text you your time. Um, when I think of um the culture of silence, I think of Jocelyn. Can you open the door for Sammy? I think of um, being me as a um, young they them in um, a small community in a small city um, who everybody knows everybody. And when I think of the culture of silence, I think of glow. I think of the reasons why people don't show up here because if I step into that center, we'll already promote. They already got the gay shit across the window. Then when I step in there, if I consider myself a heterosexual male only because I'm penetrating and I'm not getting penetrated, 
I then have to go into accept some things when I make a step into the door. Because then I'm talking about the eight things that have happened. Because this is specifically for people of color that identify with things. So then you have to step in and talk about your identify. Because then on Third Street, your g- girlfriend or your uncle or your friends or your homies can be driving down. And now they want to know why you're going into that fag center. Yeah. So now your identity and your wanting to be of ghost um, of some sort because we knew, Cosby said it last week, we knew for a long time that family members were gay and we didn't speak on it. And a lot of times the family members we didn't speak on are the ones that still live like they are um, have a heterosexual lifestyle to them. If they still just walk up and straight and not have a switch or a twing in their voice they're good because that's uncle clarence that can have the roommate um, with mr steve and they've been roommates for 30 years but they didn't move to every house with each other but we don't under as young as young adults we that's where the culture silence i remember i remember my grandma passing away god rest her soul and feeling so free with life i remember being so young and don't walk like that when you get around your grandma don't talk like that when you get around your grandma because i had come from family who 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 identified with homosexuality so they didn't want the other family to believe that they brought this generational curse on me so that was the work that they hadn't yet identified and done with them so it's they silenced that with my best friend who was my grandmother so i wasn't able to have that so when she died i felt free because I was no longer have to be silenced on the way I walk or the way I talked. It wasn't until her last dying years where I could walk in and say, hey, girl. I remember coming out to my uncle and him calling my grandmother right after that and her saying, is you okay? Is you feeling a little funny? What's going on? Do you want something to talk about? And she wanted to talk about the demons that uh, approached me, so I had to stay silent. I didn't. And then this is the beautiful thing sometimes about life. Sometimes you don't get to be silent. I've been charged art since since I came out the since I came out, my mama. You couldn't take away. You can't take away this gayness. The hands have always been moving. The 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 legs have always been moving. The switch. This switch has been the same switch since elementary school. So I didn't have a chance to be silent. So I didn't have a chance of that. But there are people that have a chance to be silent and they are silent because they want to. They're silent because they don't want to live the gay lifestyle. What they want to live is the, the sex and the, and the behind the scenes and the grime that comes with it. You know, it's easy to be quiet about your homosexuality, but it's hard when you are gay and you just want to go out and you're called that faggot or someone's chasing you home because you want to play the cello. It's hard. It's hard not being silent. It's easy as hell being quiet. It's easy as hell. I remember, and I'm going to shut up. I remember the same day that minister were pulling oil on me. I knew two other men in the building that sat around and watched this exorcism because that's what they were trying to exercise the demons out. I remember, I remember the pastor calling out anyone has suffered with homosexuality, raise your hand and start praying. And I remember two people looking up, and this is all I remember, is two people, those same two people, sitting in the corner like this. The silence ate you up while you allowed me, who was open and ready and trying to find out something. God, because this can't be me because I want to be on the pulpit. So do I... I don't have a chance to go be quiet. 
The only chance I have of being quiet is if I move to a new state and then go on social media. And I change my walk and I change my talk. But that can't happen because that's not me. So not everyone can be silent. And the people that are silent are the ones that will call you a faggot. Those are the ones that are, I, I'm only gay um, if you ask me. You know, you, no, I, I'm open if you ask me. But it's who asks you? Because if your mama asks you, you gay, it's no. But if Steve O'Kleiner asks you, you gay, it's good. You're not open. That's still silencing. And you're not helping people like me. You're not helping people like Zora. You're not helping people like Bryce. Because y'all are the same people that when it's time for somebody to whoop my ass. While I'm laying out in these streets, while I'm getting beat up, don't let the same ones to stand to the side and stand back and look. Because you don't want to be part of that. Y'all are so scared. It's the DL men that say, oh, I don't want my business ring. I'm tired. I was tired of playing around with the down low. The silence of that. You can come take. You can come into my, my, my spiritual womb, drop off your issues into my spiritual womb, go and be free, and I still got to take care of your issues and mine. That's all I got to say. You know, you talk about the culture of silence because it has so many layers. And one of the layers that the culture of silence does have is the witness of bullying. Hate and the effects and sometimes what it has on mental health. Bryce, is there anything that you could speak on someone is witnessing a bullying, whether it's elementary school or through their adult years or adolescent years, about the culture of silence and how it plays a part in that? Yeah, most definitely. I, I, I uh, preface this with um, trigger warnings, uh, molestation, and uh, uh, childhood abuse. My grandmother was abused by her mother day in and day out. Her mother was a head deaconess, one of the best people at the church, one of the people who you would look to to pray, have them pray over. But she'd come over and kill my, try and kill my grandmother. She'd come home and try and kill my uncle, my, my grandmother's brothers. And when you see someone who is holier than thou, and you're thinking, wait, wait a minute, I know what I'm seeing, but I can't turn to anybody else because they're going to call me a liar, or they're going to say that my my feelings and my experiences are invalid. Especially back in the '50s, when you no one, there's no, there's no, they don't care about black black little kids. They don't care about black little kids. CPS doesn't care about them. They don't care about these people who are being who are being going into schools and desegregating schools, being spit on, being called nigga gal number one, nigga gal number two from the teacher because I don't need to know your name because you're not going to be here long enough for me to even care about you. They don't care about the little girls who are being molested by their uncles and then being called little sluts and whores by their mothers. And that stayed with my grandmother. And it still stays with my grandmother until my great-grandmother's dying day. She said... Well, maybe today I can get an I love you from my mother. And never came. And as my great-grandmother went through her dementia, there were times when she bawled her fists up to my grandmother. So this is not just something on the level of in school bullying or anything like that. No. A culture of silence is a, is a culture where you can be abused by a parent who is a deaconess in the church 
and be told to shut your mouth because what you're telling is a lie or all you are is a little whore. When your uncles are the ones who are molesting you, your mother is the one who's trying to kill you. It's bigger. It's bigger. It's much bigger. I definitely agree that it's bigger. Tony, what'd you say to that? Um, well, when I think of um, silence and the culture that it breeds, for me, um, my story is a, a little bit different from Zora, Bryce, and JB. Um, I'm a cishet um, gay black man. So growing up, silence for me was protection. Um, protection against everything that people would say against me, um, the name calling, the bullying. Um, you see those things. I grew up in my high school, there were two male cheerleaders and they were gay identified. And when I tell you these guys were beat up almost every day, almost every single day, something happened to them. And just seeing how horrible other, you know, like these were at the time, the football players, the basketball players, you know, the real big guys. I mean, if you see me, I'm, you know, 140 pounds soaking wet. So these guys are like twice my size and I'm seeing them beat up gay people who are smaller than me. For me, I didn't have the courage to, you know, walk with my, with, with a switch or to, you know, bend my hand. I even got so meticulous about the kind of music I listened to. I didn't listen to, you know, Beyonce. I couldn't Beyonce or, you know, any singer. I had to listen to rap. I had to wear baggy clothes. I had to, I wanted to blend in so much so that nobody would even notice me. I didn't even care about being popular. I didn't even speak a lot of the time because I didn't want people to hear, you know, how my voice sounded. You know, in high school, my, my voice, I didn't go through puberty until I went to college. So that's why I did that. But like I said, that silence for me was protection. But I didn't know that it was killing me until I got older and I became an adult and I'm trying to form relationships with women and it just didn't work. It just didn't work. I'm drinking myself into a hole, trying to figure out what is the problem? What, what am I doing wrong? But the whole time it was me hiding myself, hiding everything about myself to try to fit into what I thought a man should be. And it got so bad to the point where I was like, I can't take it anymore. Either I'm going to have to come out or I'm going to kill myself. Because the weight is just too much. I, I, I got to the point where I couldn't even worry about what other men were going to say about me, my homeboys, my, my dad, my uncles, all of that. It was like either do or die. I just couldn't take it anymore. And so I finally, at 21, I came out. And even now at 28, I still struggle to find myself or to be comfortable in my own skin. You know, it's just, and people, they don't understand that even when you do come out, it's still a process. You don't just get to walk away from the two plus decades worth of trauma that you had coming up just because you come out. You have to deal with all of that. Mm -hmm. And it hurts, you know. And I finally decided, you know, last week to start going to therapy um, because I realized I can't do it by myself. You know, there was so much in my own life that I don't even know how to process. Even coming out as a gay person, you know, I was at Penn State, a mostly white liberal institution. I, I went to the gay center. There was nobody in there that looked like me. Mm -hmm. 
had my experiences, you know? So even still coming out, there was still this silence that I felt. And it was almost like the silence was, I couldn't stop it. No matter how much I screamed, no matter how much I tried to force it out of me, there was so much of me I realized that I hadn't said for so long, you know? And so I just want to close with that your silence, it, it doesn't kill you initially, but eventually it does because you can't keep lying. You can't keep lying to yourself. At some point, it's going to break. And that's why I feel like we have so many of our young people who do end up committing suicide at a young age because they don't know how to deal with it because it literally feels like do or die sometimes. Tony, please allow me to say congratulations on you going to therapy last week. Nice. I wish you the best. I've been in therapy for three years. My shit slapped. <laughs> up. It is, it, is, it is wonderful, all right? So I can't wait to hear more about your journey. Congratulations on taking that first step. It is the best step you can think about in your life. And one thing that probably is going to come to your mind is, why didn't I do this shit earlier? Yeah. <laughs> personal note. Um, one thing about bullying that you all spoke on that sometimes I don't think get speaked on, and this is coming from me being a black heterosexual man, and Cosby, I'm going to tag you with this, is the assumption that when we are in our own circles, that we are all like-minded. So a lot of times, the silence can come from us men who may not be homosexual, we may not be homophobic or none of that, but we're allowing a dialogue to be said in our circles. Cosby, what do you say to that? Because I know sometimes men make an assumption about me when I show up in the room. What do you say about that? Has Have you ever experienced anything like that with that culture type of silence? I mean, I, I think, I mean, most, you know, uh, since had men growing up, man, I, I remember just being a kid and, you know, we played football. You know, some people called it killer man. Other people called it, you know, smear the queer. And we're just like, yo, wait, 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 wait. Like, uh -huh. you know, I'm, not, I'm not calling it that. It's, you know. Um, but, you know, when you're in that group, you're looking for validation. And one thing my dad always said was that you got love at home, so you don't need it out there. So I know for me, I grew up with a different perspective when it came to, you know, peer pressure, because I, I was taught that they're, they're stupid. You know, their opinions don't matter. But even, you know, as an adult, I'll be in some situations and men will be, you know, the barbershop. And they'll say something wild foul and then look at me to agree. And I'm like, no. I mean, you know, I remember one example was the Bill Cosby case. And they was just looking around the room like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, nah, I read the affidavit, man. He did it. You got to go to jail. Um, and so, but so many men, there's never a graduation from from that that circle of, of teenagers. There's never, you know, a, a maturation uh, process. So they're forever those... Unruly, you know, boys will be boys. Yeah, I agree with that. And a lot of times I feel like if you're someone who is on that side, like when we spoke last week and Bryce brought up about putting your pronouns in your email, you know, as giving out a understanding that you are one with the community and you are an ally, part of being an ally is the private fight. It's not necessarily um, what you writing on Facebook and you going on these Twitter rants. Listen, and that's, and that's okay. But really the fight coming from, you know, me being in my position and thinking who I am, it's really checking that friend when we're in the car. And we're on our way to have a good time. 
And I got to check that friend who may be speaking real loosely. And sometimes they get me with the, oh, come on. You know, I feel like I can just, I'm like, no, I, I can't. I can't allow this dialogue to go on. You understand? Like, I can't I can't allow that. And it's a responsibility that I feel when it comes to that. Zora, is there anything that you can speak upon when it comes to the effects of the culture of silence? Go on. I used to get, I used to get, get my ass whipped a lot growing up because I always had to ask why. Um, you're never going to tell me anything that I don't like, and I'm not going to ask you why. And I think, I think that really helped because though my mother encouraged me to ask why, she never wanted me to ask her why. You ask other people why. You, they told you to do something. You ask them. You don't ask me shit. I just told you to do it. No, that don't work that way. I'm going to ask you why too. Why am I doing this? And something that uh, people need to understand about, about the culture of silence is it's based on comfortability. Because when you throw that why out there and you throw that ask out there, you're not ready for the response. Because you're going to find out that your uncle's a pedophile when you start to ask why. You're going to find out that your granddaddy's a racist, and you're going to find out why. You're going to find out that your auntie's a homophobe, and you're going to find out why. So it's easier to live in silence because it's comfortable. I don't have to have any conviction. There's nothing asked of me when I live in silence. There is no kind of demand command when I ask the why. Because once I ask the why, I have to respond to it. I have to do something. Well, now you know that Uncle Jimmy's a pedophile. What are you going to do about it? Now you know your auntie's a homophobe. Now what are you going to do about it? So now you know your friend has been beating all his girlfriends. What are you going to do about it? Now you know that, 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 that your homeboy's a chronic cheater. And slept with your girlfriend. What are you going to do about it? Now, when you bring it to the personal. Because the culture of silence is a culture of silence until it's you. <clears throat> until still, and still you start asking those silent corners, what the hell's going on over there? Why has it always been this way? What have you been hiding from me? Yeah. My grandmother found out that I was queer when I was when I was eighteen. I was in college. My, everyone knew my mother. Like, do not tell her. Don't tell her. My grandmother is is a, a Geechee Creole girl from North Carolina. Don't tell her nothing. My grandfather is a French Creole from Houston. Don't tell him nothing. So everyone hid it. My grandmother was a teacher, and a teacher slipped up and told her she was substituting at my school one day. Oh, so you heard? And she said, "Heard what?" Oh, you know, you know, your grandson came out. Came out as what? And she hit it, got home, tore my, my mother up, called on the phone. Nicole, you did this. I can't believe you did this. Being around all those homosexuals growing up, that's they influenced them. That's, this is what happened. So I let her ass have it. I let her have it. I let her have it, respectively, though. When I came on this train, I told her directly to her face. She told me, I just wish you, I, I'm glad you told me, but you can change this. You can reverse this. I've seen documentaries. You know, you can, I, I've already been on hormones now for a year. 
Clearly, I'm, I'm a C cup. I don't know what you think I'm going to do now with a C cup. What do you want me to do? My name's changed. Clearly, you can see something's going on. She said, are you going to change your mind when you're burning and rotting in hell? And I said, I guess when I get there, I won't have much time to think about it, will I? Ooh. She didn't like that answer. <laughs> She'd rather be comfortable and silent. And she would tell the relatives, we don't say nothing. Or don't ask any questions. Uh-uh, I want you to ask me why. Because when you ask me why, I didn't ask you for your motherfucking permission. Sign, when you break a cultural science, you, I'm not asking you for permission. Mm. I didn't ask you for permission regarding this area. I'm going to ask you why. And the demand on you now is to answer my, my question. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a response. It's, a, it's, it's, it's not about you being comfortable anymore. Because little do you know, you 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 shifting that comfortability and you rattling that foundation probably just saved a cousin. Probably just saved a friend. Probably just saved an associate by you asking a question. You simply asking the question of why is how you break a culture of silence. Is a why. Mm -hmm. The only issue that we have to do is be comfortable enough to accept the answer. And that's why this culture is so, is so powerful and prominent. We're not comfortable enough with the answer. Mm -hmm. Which I think this goes back around to questioning how, what can allies do? This goes back to cis black women. You need to be having these conversations with your girlfriends. Don't joke about how, don't joke about, you know, so-and-so looking like a tranny. Don't joke about so-and-so having probably having a, a big, uh, you know, oh, she's a woman, but she got a big old dick. Like, it's, it, this is not funny. Like, literally, your ha-has for the, for the next five minutes is going to take, mean that someone may or may not take their life. Or they may or may not get beat in the streets because you've now exposed them, exposed the fact that they are a trans person. Is that is your ha ha's worth it? And this is the thing. This is the reason why I I, I very rarely listen to comedians who are uh, heterosexual black men, cisgender black men, because oftentimes I or my community are the butt of their jokes, and it makes that entire room fill, filled with ten thousand people feel as if it's okay to make fun of a black man, a, 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 a black gay man, or a trans woman. We're not the butt of your jokes. This is our life. Step up. Speak out. Do better. I really want to end the culture of silence with one thing in particular that I think gets overlooked also, that's culture of silence. Um, those of you who don't know me personally, I used to be a youth counselor. I did it for like 10 years. And so I had a lot of kids over the years, some were transitioning, some was thinking about it, some was going through all that. But one thing that gets overlooked, um, me and um, Cosby and Charlotte, we're here in Washington, D.C., there's a large number of the trans youth who are homeless and are runaways. Can real quick, can everybody, and I'm going to pick everybody, but I just need everybody to kind of give me their take real quick on that. And Bryce, since you are already warm with no background, I'm going to ask you, 
to just give a take on that when it comes to the youth trans being homeless and being runaways. I mean, what is something that can be done about that? What is something that speaks about that? Because I got to tell you, even as a counselor in that moment, I didn't really have an answer. All I could do is keep my ear to the streets and, you know, try to go get one and bring it back. But I really didn't. And the systems that I worked in, I worked in various um, programs, didn't necessarily have a concrete answer. We had to work with other programs. So what's something that you say to that? The big, uh, well, first and foremost, the national average of homeless youth, uh, we can we see that within the national average of homeless youth, 40% of homeless youth are LGBT. So of the youth out there who are homeless, about just under half of the youth out there are LGBTQ, which means that either they did have to run away, they were kicked out, they weren't being accepted, which means that most likely they're going to lead lives into doing things that are high-risk behaviors, drugs, alcohol, sex work. So the first and foremost, <laughs> we need to be teaching. I mean, there are so many layers to this because we need to have reform and comprehensive sexual education. We need to have reform and protection of our youth. At the at the macro level, at the government level, we need to be funding programs that have that are for queer residential youth facilities, because we don't have a program like that down here in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. I have had three or four people come to me and say, "I don't have somewhere to stay tonight," and I've offered, "Can it come out of my pocket? Get you a hotel to stay?" I should not like listen. I. I, I try and do what I as I can do, but you know, as well as that, I also work up. I, I you know, I've contacted Glow in the past as well. What can we do for this youth? For this youth who's down here an hour and a half away from Harrisburg, who doesn't have transportation? So we we need to restart. It's it's a reform across the board to protect our youth because then if these youth are getting into these things like drugs, sex work, alcohol, um, their mental health is going. Uh, you know, it's getting frayed at the ends. Well, now they become the degenerates of society, uh, and they become uh, numbers on your statistic, on your on your uh, research, uh, uh, on your research that you're doing, but just not doing anything. We already know that queer youth are homeless. We know that they're homeless at much greater levels than their heterosexual counterparts. Why are we not making sure? I mean, we. One more thing, just like at the macro level, once again, at the at, when we're asking for Senate bills and House bills and um, the different laws we make, we have had a Senate bill here in Pennsylvania that I can't remember. What, I don't. I don't know what the Senate bill for this uh, season is. But whenever I started studying it, it was Senate Bill Forty Four, and Senate Bill Forty Four made it so that youth were not forced. You could not force a youth to go into conversion therapy. It is still very much so legal here in Pennsylvania to force an LGB youth, and I say LGB because lesbian, gay, bi uh, bisexual youth into conversion therapy. Despite knowing that conversion therapy can lead to higher suicide rates, higher rates of unacceptance and uh, self-hate, but it doesn't matter. That bill has been in since 2008, I want to say. 
where is the care? Where is the love for queer youth? Because I'm not seeing it. We need to find these programs. We need to be making changes at the macro level. Zora, real quick, if you can chime in and close that one out. First of all, we shouldn't need these programs because they should be in their homes. We shouldn't be having to do these things because they should be accepted in their yep. homes. And that's where this should start. I want to know why you ran away. Let's deal with that. I want to know why you're on the street. I want to know how you got here to my desk needing a hot meal, a shower, and a bed to sleep on tonight. Because we can address everything else. We can get these programs. We can get you condoms. We can get you uh, comprehensive tests. We can get you counseling. But I yeah. want to know who the fuck put you out. Because I'm going to, I want to go to your house. Because a lot of these times, and I've met a few, they, they're runaways. And, you know, they're struggling and all these things while their families are claiming them on their taxes. You're still claiming them on your insurance. You're getting benefits, and you pushed your child off the door. So that's, this is where this starts. I should need these programs because you should be in your house. Yeah. You should be loved in your house. You should feel comfortable in your home. You, wherever you came from, mm -hmm. that's where that's where we need to address. Thank you. You Sarah. should be loved in your house. That's a that's a mantra. Thank you, Sister Zora. You always giving us that bar we can't never forget. I, I do appreciate. It. I'm still on sponge and break though, so you got to give me some time to digest. Um, <laughs> this is going to be the closing one because Bryce mentioned it, and I think Bryce snuck in the notes, so we gonna have a conversation later, Bryce. But <laughs> The effects of black culture and entertainment was something that um, you had spoke about. Because I remember, we all remember like watching Comic View on BET. I mean, when was there never a gay joke? Like when, when was there, I mean, it was such the norm that even a gay comedian would make a gay joke. Yep. So what do we say the role to comedians, entertainers? Because I have to say, you know, I, I come from the art community. I know a lot of people who are real big on um, speech. It's not set in stone even within them because it's real important to have that voice, to have that expression. And in a lot of times when they talk about silencing comedians or people who are in the art field, it's the black artists who get it first. So I just want to tag Charlotte and I want to say first, what do you say to the effects of the black culture entertainment? And then JB, if you could respond to that after Charlotte. Um, I think it's two sides of the coin, right? Um, so there's definitely the harmful side that we, we know all too well, right? And I think the conversation that I have is like, it's, it's, it doesn't matter if it's funny or not, or if it's art or not. Does it cause harm? And does it create, does it uh, con contribute to a culture of harm? And if it does, and that person is not affected and not a part of that community, then this is a no-go, period. That's quick, that's a quick, easy no, you can be a heterosexual man and make a gay joke and you're unaffected. And that's just not okay. Um, on the flip side where I see entertainment 
going, and I'm I get excited when I talk about the show. It's uh, P Valley, right? So there's this this downward moving. You know, there's polls. There was uh, a disclosure. There's P Valley, which spoke to my spirit, Uncle Clifford, where we see this normalization of Black trans women, um, normalization of pronouns, normalization of, I mean, aside from the end where uh, Little Murder was going through this conflict, like he was loving seeing a Black trans woman being loved the way she needed to be loved. Um, and I think that's beautiful to say, okay, these are the stories that we we need to see more of. Where do we need to fund these <laughs> movies, these, these shows, these narratives, where they're not monolithic, that we're hearing, we're seeing these nuanced stories um, that, that breathes fresh humanity um, to, I mean, definitely the strippers too, but like how, how um, um, the gay, the black queer community is, is presented into our communities. Okay, so I was doing some research because I knew what I wanted to talk about. So you said it was in, in Charlotte, it was you that made me think of it and say it the way I want to say it. You said it's a double-headed sword. And I wanted to give an example of a double-headed sword because I remember watching this movie, White Famous, with Jamie Foxx. And it talks about, um, it was it was a part in there where um, they were trying to get Jay Farrell to wear a dress. And Jamie did this um, skit in somehow, some way. I may have messed up a little bit, but anyways, I know when Jay Farrell put the dress on, he lifted his pants up and he no longer had a penis. It was empty to look as if it was a vagina. That is the one head spec of it of if you put a dress on, you're automatically a woman. So that is what mainstream will give us. Um, but then you also have the loving things of being able to see in, again, when you talk about the double headed sword, we have things like, um, uncle Clifford, um, who is, um, the best day them you can come out with right now. Then you have little murder who is a straight male actor who is playing a gay role as a gay lover. And he's African-American. The scrutiny that he's getting right now, oh child, because the black woman give oh child, because honey, if my man ain't playing no gay role, if he ain't gay, my man ain't my man ain't doing that. Oh girl, will keep an eyebrow raised. There's so many comments that I've seen, but then my boyfriend, my boyfriend made a post that talk uh, talked about the two men that played in Brokeback Mountain and how they got Academy Awards, honey. It was everything. It was love. And now, because we in our community, we can appreciate art. Another double-headed sword, and this is my last one, is um, the Dave Chappelle stand-up. I was able to enjoy it. I had some people tell me, oh, oh, this is so wrong of what he did and what he says. But that's his art. What he did for me was make me be able to laugh because there's how many comedians do I have that I have watched and I was able to see and say, okay, they're really for me. They're really for me. 
when he says what he says, he is not denying me anything. He's making jokes. And sometimes us as a community, we are so ready to attack when we hear something that we can't understand sometimes that it's just there and it's just jokes now that's for me i may have gotten a lot of people on the screen i've seen a lot of different faces but for me it's the jokes that are can seem harmful and can be but there are things where there are black comedians paul mooney is one of them that will make jokes and make jokes and we have black jokes but when it comes to jokes about us sometimes we can't we can't we can't laugh at it. But there's not a lot of comedians right now out there that are black that can make gay funny jokes that are about it. And somebody did. And somebody did. And that's what I'm happy about. But what I will say is we need to make sure that we are keeping up and knowing who is for us and who is against us when it comes to this industry. Um, because the top is white. When we get Huh. And they don't give a damn about our brown skin. Gay is it. If y'all don't listen to anything else that I say tonight, gay is it. It is the thing. It is the thing to be. And a lot of people don't understand how to carry that burden because it's in. It's cute. It's fun. I could be bisexual. We've gotten so many terms. Now everybody got to stay in their own box. It's not either gay or straight no more. You can be trans. You can be you can be uh, polyamorous. You can be so many things because gay is in, honey. It's the new thing. It's the new hidden agenda. Didn't y'all know? And this is how they stop us from being able to do things like pokes. This is where how they scrutinize and are able to scrutinize Uncle Clifford and and and, and murder and little murder because of these things. Why not? Because they is in and it's a new agenda. And and we're trying to and we're trying to make sure these young men know that they can be in their heels and dresses. And I want to let any child know, and this is my done and this is my I want like, any child know, any gay man out here know, anybody that's trying to find out who they are. Baby, if you want to put on some puffs, rock a Hello Kitty perk, and a bang for days, that is on you. It's all about the banging. I'm Jay Branch, and I'm out. <laughs> man, it seems like we can never necessarily have enough time. So what I do want to do, to be fair, I want to go around and have everybody, either you can speak on the current subject that we were, that we've just speaking on, or whatever kind of closing statement that you want to kind of convey out into the universe. And so let me start off with Tony. <laughs> Respond to what you just heard or you just anything that you want to use as a closeout. Um, well, I just want to thank everybody on the panel um, just to close out. Um, thank you all for your thoughts and everything. Um, I appreciate being able to hear different perspectives, um, especially too in my community because we don't, we don't hear enough of it, you know, it's very affirming to, you know, not only it's, it's been affirming for me to not only feel included um, on the LGBT side, but also on the other side of the spectrum. Because um, just for me, like, I feel like in all of our communities, I've always tried to find one to fit in. And it really didn't work. So just hearing all of the perspectives and the love that everybody's given, um, it's helped me. So I really appreciate it. Cosby. I just want to thank everybody for you know being on the panel and just sharing their stories. I mean, I'm, I'm I got to go unpack some things I didn't know I had packed up, you know, because of this. And I'm 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 grateful for this experience, man. And anybody who watches this, um, 
take that time to unpack, you know, whatever they learn, man. Unlearning is just as good as learning. And you learn so much by unlearning. Um, you know, get free. And I, I think the greatest thing you can do is, you know, get out of other people's way when it comes to happiness, man. I mean, we there's so much weight that we, we put on ourselves and given to us to, to get into each other's way for happiness, man. So, you know, if you're going to love yourself, man, love your neighbor the same way. Mm-hmm. Bryce? Understand that we can kiki and we can laugh and we can have a good old time. But I will always stand for you. I will always stand for when I say Black Lives Matter, I include everyone. And you should too. Thank you for your time and thank you for your love. Thank you. Sister Zora. Sister? As you go throughout life, I want you to remember this. You can either be a brick or a stone. I just I wake up thinking that. It takes just over 400 years. It takes 4,094 mm. ancestors to make you. Can you say that, that one more time for the people years. in the back? Just over a span of 400 years. It takes 4,094 ancestors to make you. And when you realize that you are literally destined to be in your position, to either break the silence, shake the table, fuck up a mold, break break a ceiling, uh, knock down some doors, shake some apartments, check, uh, knock off some shutters. When you realize that, that out of those 4,094 that there's a God that lives inside of you that loves you and is waiting for you to get to, and you don't know, you don't owe anybody an explanation for how you get your happiness, how you get yours. Period. Period. Get out of your own way, honey, because you're waiting for you. You're waiting for you. Get into it, honey. <laughs> That's all I got. Zora Van Dan, the founder of Starting With Today, the reason why majority of us are here. Charlotte, any last words? Um, this has been a pleasure. A, just getting to know y'all. Um, unforgettable. Uh, <laughs> unforgettable individual and collective experience. I'm glad I've been able to share this virtual space, but it feels spiritual. Um, and so I, I think my uh, calling to really begin to make sure we're sharing, sharing these stories and sharing these perspectives and, and passing the mic. Um, and elevating other people's voices in, in our work, in our communities, um, and honoring those who have came before, but then also our peers with the that are doing the work. And we appreciate you, honey. I'd like to say, I'd like to encourage everyone who is watching to please make sure you share this information. Make sure you continue to follow Glow Harrisburg when the site goes up again tomorrow, which I'm sure JB would be in control of that. Make sure you follow Starting With Today. Check the link in the bio for all the information, all the other dope stuff starting with today is doing. And for myself, I'd like to say thank you for everyone for giving me the gems that you've given me. And to those who sit in the seat that I sit in and will have the honor of listening to all of you, I think one thing is important to learn is that you don't have to take this as absolute. It's just like it nourishment for myself. It was for my soul. And although there was some conversations and some lanes that we went into that I was like, oh, wow, I had no clue. 
that is the type of courage it takes for us to engage in this type of conversation in order for progress to be made. And so I would just like to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you all for your time for sharing the stories because I know that wasn't easy because like Kyle said, I got some unpacking to do and I got some homework to do and I got some things to do. So thank you very much. Thank you for your time. JP, you are the GOAT. And we appreciate everybody that took their time and their ears and their eyes to join us and listen. And let's keep on continuing the dialogue, everybody. Let's give a digital clap. So, y'all stay with me. I'll be right back with y'all. This has been an overwhelming night. I would like to thank, again, all of the guests that um, came out tonight, starting with today. Um, you really helped. Um, you really, you outdid yourself. Thank you so much for these talks. These talks need to be had and they need to be talked about across this platform for the for the masses to hear. Um, please make sure that you join us again live um, next week where we will have um, Leonard Tatum um, with Tatum Gaming. And he is going to be, um, if y'all uh, don't remember, right before starting with Today Started, um, we had um, Lennard come and talk about Bitcoin. He's going to be doing another roundtable. So if you want to get in on that and really ask some questions and zone in, please reach out to us. Um, and don't forget, Thursday at 6 o'clock is I Am Code Switching, another program by me, interactive program um, that will talk about the social. A lot of things that we're talking about here, starting with today, is exactly what we talk about on um I'm code switching. So please make sure if you want to continue to, want to continue to follow us, um, please make sure that you click that button that says like and follow. Please make sure you like and follow us. I am G Branch. This has been an extended version of Pass the Mic. Thank you. <laughs>